Right, good morning. Well, we are uh, today looking at um, one of the traditional Christmas uh, Christmas um, passages. Um, and I want to dwell on a couple of things. Um, the first thing is fellowship and those relationships we have. Now, one of the best things about being a teacher for me is the relationships I form with my students. And generally I find that pastoral care, uh, the, the pastoral care I, that we give in, in boarding schools has been a better setup than in the day schools that I work in. So I'm grateful for that because once a week I get to meet with my tutees, uh, a selection of boys who I discuss how their week has gone. And mostly it's, it's academic. Mostly it's like, how are you finding work? What, you know, why are you getting in trouble? Uh, well done, what, are you, what do you excel in? How do you think you can get better? What uh, things can you put in place to get better? But also I think it's a valuable time uh, for them, especially for those who don't have much contact with, with their parents. Their parents are busy uh, traveling, uh, working. Um, and so, Every week, in some form or another, I ask them the question, what is worrying you right now? And usually it's the same answers. It's work, or exams, or friends. Occasionally they'll confide in me uh, relationship issues, and occasionally it's more than I want to hear, but um, I, I, will, I do my best to uh, give them wise advice, and I hope that I can pray that I can speak into that. Um, and yes, the parents who are listening to this are probably thinking very deeply about who their children are getting their relationship advice and life advice from. Um, but uh, on the whole, I think that teachers generally uh, do their best to give wise advice. Uh, and it's not often that they ask me uh, relationship advice. Um, more of, it's more, normally more academic advice, and I think teachers are a better placed to give that. But occasionally I see a, a crack in the facade and I see deeper worries, maybe about relationships with their, their parents or how they're coping with life, with work and anxiety. I think that is especially true now during this global pandemic where there are serious worries about uh, relatives. Um, I know that one boy is over here uh, from, from China and he hasn't been able to return since, since last January. So he spent a whole year with his, you know, uh, away from his, his parents, his grandparents. He's worried about them and he's finding it very difficult. And so I see that crack and and while I think that it's a good thing that I can speak and give them, uh, help them to, to address those anxieties, I really want to address the bigger issues here. Now, if I asked you what your greatest worry was, or what your greatest worry is, I'm sure that a larger, uh, slightly larger group of you uh, than most um, would say uh, 
would probably say the same as, as most of my students. It would be financial or health, relatives who are sick. These would be larger questions, so larger problems than, than what most of my students are facing. Uh, those who are in need of help, strained relationships, this worry that the COVID crisis will go on. Most students don't have those worries, and th thankfully that is true. As adults, we deal with greater issues. But the core problem is much greater than that. And we, we know this as Christians, or we should know this as Christians. And today we're going to have a look at this passage where we're looking at the birth of the man who came into this world, of whom it's claimed he's going to be the saviour of the world. We've just been singing about that. And you'll hear about it in all the Christmas carols. Even when they're being piped into malls and on the radio by people who probably have no idea what Jesus came to save them from. So let's have a look at the passage. Uh, let's try and share this. Let me read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, the birth of Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a, man, a, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save, he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but he knew her not until he had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we thank you that your word is preserved and given to us so clearly. The purpose of the Bible is so clear and single-focused, single-minded, and it's so focused on this idea, this truth, this fact that your son Jesus came to save us. Help us to focus on that and learn and grow and become more of the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew, as we see, uh, uh, 
as you know, we've been studying Luke's gospel in, uh, in the Bible studies. And in Matthew, we can see that we get a, a much shorter version of Jesus's birth. Next week, Craig will speak about the wise men. Um, Matthew does not dwell on the shepherds or the, the amazing heavenly host. Um, what Matthew does at the beginning, if, you, if you've got your Bibles open, you can uh, see, uh, you don't need to, uh, Matthew lists an awesome list of names that Jesus is descended from. Some of the greatest and most significant men in Jewish history. And most notably, uh, also four women. Um, and we can talk about that some other time if you wouldn't like to talk to me about that. Like all the gospel writers do, Matthew here, what he is doing is pointing to the fact that the whole testament is pointing to Jesus. It is building up to this one single figure, and that is Jesus. He names him as Jesus Christ, the one who will fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, we find that this honourable man, Joseph, who has found that his fiancée is pregnant, despite not sleeping with her, he finds that she is pregnant, and so he decides to divorce her. As so rarely happens in the Bible, however, an angel appears to him to reassure, reassure him that the baby, the baby is from the Holy Spirit. It is from God. And just in case Joseph was in danger of calling him Joseph Jr., the angel tells him exactly what to call him, to name him Jesus. I think I've, I don't have any children of my own, but I have uh, a number of friends, very close friends, who have, uh, who have children. And one of the hardest things at that time is deciding on a name that has caused no end of worry. Well, that was taken out of Joseph's hands and he was given this name. And in Jewish times, sorry, in, in this first century times, these, this, these names were given meanings. Jesus means deliverer or rescuer, or as the passage says, savior. Jesus the savior is born. And we sing about that amazing thing sometimes I wonder whether we know why it is so amazing. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And certainly I don't think that those who do not have a relationship with God, those who are not Christians, will not understand this. It's strange that in all my years of teaching, over 20 years now, all my years of talking to students, I've never heard, once heard any of them tell me that their biggest worry was their own sin. I know that if I ask around the church, and I ask them what you need saving from, a good number, well-churched, well, uh, well brought up Christians may well say, 
well, I need to for my sins. But that's kind of an automatic res response, isn't it? If I get I go out to the street and talk to people there, if I go to the cafes and talk to people, random strangers who will probably give me strange looks for talking to them, I think people are certainly less friendly in, in London. Um, I'm sure I would get all sorts of answers. Some, I, I think many would say that we need saving from the coronavirus, this pandemic, this terrible evil, that when it's gone, all the world will be right again and perfect and, and good. Well, I'm not sure whether anyone believes that. But this is the great evil that we are fighting right now. Some people might even say that China is the terrible threat, that this totalitarian regime is insidious in its reach out to other, other nations. Uh, some people say, well, what I've been seeing on the internet for the last couple of months, my American friends are crying out to be saved from Trump or saved from Biden. In equal measure, I've had both uh, seeing that. And equally, many of my British friends are crying out to be saved from Boris. I was speaking to a guy on the internet, uh, on Twitter, which is a very strange place. He just put out there, is it just me or is the corruption in the world becoming more transparent, yet even harder to deal with? I think as I've grown, I've become more aware of how fallen the world is. I think our eyes, and this is what I answer him, I think our eyes become more open to it. But yes, I think that we are better at exposing corruption and it is becoming harder to deal with. I see people falling into despair because of this, not knowing what they can do about it. Some will bury their head in the sand, trying to ignore what's going on. Some will desperately search for inner peace, ignoring the chaos and pain and injustice in the world around them, just longing to find peace within themselves. But that's not helping anyone else, is it? And, but they will say, well, I can't help anyone else until I've helped myself. Have you heard that before? Some will feel that if they could just keep fighting injustice, the world will become right. And that's a great and honorable thing, isn't it? But it doesn't address the problem with the world beneath, the root of the problem. Some may want to flee to their own sanctuary have their own bubble where they're only nice and good people. But God has shown us time and time, firstly through Noah, and then through many other times with small groups who are broken off to isolate themselves, that doesn't work. Because the root of the problem is much deeper. Because none of those people recognize that the problem is within ourselves. It is sin. But why should they? They don't even know what sin is. You see, ask any non-Christian what sin is, 
I mean, you might have some people who are educated in the Bible, might get one or two right answers, but they don't know it, do they? They'll probably tell you that it's evil. Some people will say, well, but evil doesn't exist, it's all relative. Some will say, yes, it's evil, it's, but that's not me. It's evil like those people. Criminals, pedophiles, mass murderers. They might say it's abortionists or people who don't believe in what I believe in, people who are prejudiced. Christians, they might say, Christians are evil. It's people doing wrong when they know what is right. They'll say some things are fine as long as they don't hurt others. But the Bible, it defines sin as something entirely different. You see, the Bible defines sin as our selfish rebellion against God. If you've read Two Ways to Live, which is a great evangelistic tool, you see that humans have taken the crown that belongs to God and put it on themselves. We've made ourselves king and ruler of our lives. And you see how that is very, very different from this idea of this evil that is away from us, this evil that is not us. The problem isn't out here. The problem is in here. The problem isn't other people. The problem is us. And that's where the change must come. You see, some people have started to get it right. Um, John Lennon wrote, all you need is love. But yes, that is correct but love of God, not love of ourselves. Loving God over our desire to love ourselves. Michael Jackson wrote about the man in a mirror. His words are, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make the change. Yes, we need to start with changing ourselves. But without acknowledging that we have rebelled against God, we are still just working for ourselves, changing ourselves in what we think is right, is better, is not the way to defeat sin. Whatever change we make for ourselves, we are still doing what we think is right. We look around and we see pain and suffering, we see corruption and injustice, and we long for something different. As Christians, we know the answer, and I've preached it many times, we need to be a witness to that answer. The only answer that can fix the problem is the one where we need divine help. We cannot make that change to ourselves, a permanent, proper change, eternal change, without divine help. Look, at, look again at the passage, just to put it up. Jesus is given two names. 
Jesus, which means Savior, because he will save the people from their sins. And Emmanuel. And as we're told here, that means God with us. this again. Ah, yes, he's given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And isn't that an amazing promise? God is now with us. I sometimes wonder how the Israelites in the, the desert could have moaned about God because they had the fiery pillar going before them at night and the pillar of cloud by day. God was with them and there was a very physical appearance of God, a fiery pillar of uh, a pillar at, not, uh, at night and a pillar of cloud during the day how could the Israelites have forsaken God and turned to worship the golden calf given that image it's unbelievable but we have Jesus and we have the Bible and on top of that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit None but the prophets and kings had the spirit in the Old Testament, and it isn't clear whether they had the spirit indwelt in them in the same way that we do. The spirit came upon them to anoint them, but we have the spirit indwelling in us. And yet we constantly forget that our biggest problem, it's not financial worries or health worries what's going on at work or a relationship with our partners, our children or our parents. It's not singleness, it's not COVID, it is sin. We forget that. <laughs> Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We were given the spirit to be indwelt in us he indwells in us, God with us. Unlike all the generations before, we have something so powerful, so amazing, and yet we forget it. We need the Spirit to continually, continually remind us, to prod us. And he saves us. Jesus is the Savior. Something we are saved from that we mean that we would deserve death for our selfishness, our sin, our rebellion, our doing wrong when we know what is right. And that fact should drive us to our knees in humility. So many of the arguments I see on the internet are about pride. The refusal to listen and to think that we know best, that we have the right to judge and be rude to somebody else. 
being saved from our sins should drive us to our knees in humility. The fact that Jesus' death and salvation for us should also drive us to a longing for others to be saved. Not just the wicked and wretched, although that's a great thing if you... Yeah, I know many ministries of missionaries and prison ministries and street ministries are going because of this desire. And we know that Jesus came to the, the broken and lost, the poor, the diseased, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. surely the first people we should be reaching out are those people we love not just the horrible person at your office you know the one the selfish one or your nosy neighbor who can't just help uh, sticking their nose in and, and telling you how to do your thing but the nice people as well the people who you choose to hang out with your friends, your family, those you love, surely those are the people who we should reach out to and tell the gospel. I am always challenged by this. I know I don't do enough. Finally, in my quiet time this week, uh, John Piper said, if you can't get your children excited about the birth of Christ, their savior, but only get them excited about gifts at this time of year, then we have completely missed the point of Christmas. This Jesus, our Saviour and Emmanuel, God with us, should get us excited. He, he came to earth at this time. He was sent to earth at this time to save us. If we get excited about Christmas because of the bright lights, or this Christmas spirit, or what's going to come on TV, or the latest film release, that's going to be a problem this year. If that's what gets us excited, more excited than the idea of Jesus coming to this world, then we have missed the point of Christmas. Jesus came to save us all. As you look around at the corruption and disputes, the hatred and despair, everything that's going on that's wrong in this world, there is one solution, that one shining light, that one saviour, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because one day, everything will be judged. And we are promised a place in heaven where our tears will be wiped away and all injustice, all sorrow, all pain will be done away with. We are to be representatives, witnesses of him on this earth. This one solution to all of those problems, Jesus Christ our Lord, and let me pray. Father, it sometimes breaks our hearts to look around and see what's going on. 
We pray that we can look to you, acknowledge your cross as that great moment of salvation, seeing this time in Christmas as that time where you brought this salvation to us, whereas God, you reached out to us when we didn't even know you existed. Lord, we look forward to that day when heaven will come and that we are promised that despite the judgment where we will be declared guilty, where we'll be declared sinful, where we'll, we will be declared unworthy, you will lift us up and say, I have paid for this one and we will find our place in heaven. Lord, we're not worthy. Help us to keep reminding us uh, help remind uh, remind us of that and give us humility. But Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to love our family, our church family, our biological families, our work families. Love them enough to tell them the good news and share the good news of your salvation. Jesus' name. Amen.